What's good, everybody? Trying to get the trying to get some things set up here. Give me one second. Hope everybody is doing well today. This is my first YouTube stream, so this shall be very interesting. going on Instagram. Today was actually a green day in the market, so I'm glad that we're doing this on a green day. Trying to tap in and see what the market's been talking about. going on YouTube. So let me reintroduce myself again. My name is Devon Elder. I'm a 28-year-old civil engineer, and I'm the host of the Trade for Yourself podcast, where the mission is always here simple. I just want to teach you how to learn how to trade for yourself and invest in the stock market. So I'm also live on Instagram as well. Anybody on Instagram, please come over to the YouTube live so we can have like an in-depth conversation here. I'll probably stay on there for another five to 10 minutes and then hopefully everybody will be back over here. So over the first quarter, I did a lot of pre-recorded videos going over market updates, going over stock analysis videos and things like that. But now I wanna switch it up a little bit. I wanna see how the live stream goes. And this is really meant to be, you know, interactive. You know, it's meant to be interactive. You know, if you got any questions, please drop them in chat, let me know. And I'll definitely answer those questions. You don't got to wait till the end or anything like that. We're pretty much just trying to just highlight some things that have been going on in the market over the last week, over the last quarter. And so to start off, just to let everybody know what the title of this video, Q1 earnings season is here. And so Q1 earnings started off with JP Morgan, BlackRock, and Delta. And so let me go ahead and share my screen really quick and kind of show y'all what's been going on here. Give 
give me one second here. Trying to share this screen. All right, so let's just start off and let's just look at how the market did in general today. So they're showing the futures. I'm trying to get, hold on, let me go to trading view. So the S&P was up 49.14 points today. That's a 1.12% increase. The NASDAQ composite was up 272 points. That's a 2% increase. And the Dow Jones was up 344 points. So that was like a 1% increase. So today was a very strong day. Um, I was really trying to figure out why the market was up today. And I believe it was because of Delta. And pretty much Delta has some strong earnings today. And also a lot of Fed, a lot of Fed officials came out and they said that inflation might be peaking. So I think that gave investors some, some relief and that gave them some encouragement to go ahead and get in there. But we need to kind of sift through some things and kind of see how we should really look at this thing. So let me pull up JP Morgan's earnings report for a second. So JP Morgan, JP Morgan is the largest bank in the United States. Um, and so JP Morgan, their profit fell in Q1 on lower trading revenue and slowdown in deal activity. And so if we look at their revenue, they reported about $31.59 billion in revenue versus the $31.44 expected. So they were right in line from a revenue standpoint. It was just they disappointed on the earnings, and it was a lot lower than you know, we're in the same period last year, it was 42% down from the same period last year. And so I listened to the earnings call and nothing here really like, nothing really made me scared. Nothing really like gave me cause to pause. I mean, Jamie Dimon, he's the CEO of, of JP Morgan and Chase. And he's one of the most, you know, respected CEOs out here in the business. And so I like to listen to what he's saying, and he hasn't really said anything that any other CEO or any other investment pundit has really said at the end of the day. Like he's telling us, look, we got to make sure that we temper our expectations. There are a lot of geopolitical risk. We've got the war in Ukraine that is raising up energy prices. You've got a lot of commodities. So you've got a lot of food related commodities that are produced in Ukraine that are pretty much locked up and it's hard for them to get out. And so the price of food should not be expected to come down anytime soon. And so I listened to, I listened to Diamond, you know, and it really wasn't anything that really disappointed me, you know, because I mean, if, if we look at investment banking, investment banking was short of analyst estimates. It was 2.1 billion versus 2.25. So, and that was expected as, geopolitical tensions in Eastern Europe was stalled. You know, a, a, a big portion of JP Morgan's revenue is pretty much getting, getting deals done. So mergers and acquisitions, 
Um, also getting IPO deals done. If you're going to go through the traditional IPO process, that's how these deals are going to get done. And so those investment banking fees were down 31% due to lower equity and debt underwriting activity, which I mean is, is, is really nothing to me. You know, if, if we look at what, G, what CEO Jamie Dimon said, he said, we remain optimistic on the economy at least for the short term, but we see significant geopolitical and economic challenges ahead due to high inflation, supply chain issues, and the war in Ukraine. And the banking giant also reported adding 902 million in credit reserves for potential loan losses, warning of higher probabilities of downside risk. So the only thing we really see here is just JP Morgan just preparing. They're just preparing for the worst. They understand that the recession is a possibility. So they're just making sure that they're pretty much putting all hands on deck. And so with what JP Morgan reported, I mean, yes, they disappointed from a profit standpoint, but financials really haven't been looked at as a safe haven this year anyway. I personally thought that when the Fed came out and said that they were gonna raise interest rates, I thought that that might give more people to be putting more money to the financials, but that is completely opposite from what I actually thought was going to happen. So it's all good. So, you know, we're looking at JP Morgan, which I said is the largest US bank by assets. Let's look at BlackRock. Now, BlackRock is the largest investment bank in the US. And so BlackRock sees 114 billion in net inflows despite the market turmoil. Now, BlackRock is very, very important from an investment standpoint because BlackRock is an institution that invests a lot of their money into a lot of the biggest companies in the world. So a lot of money goes into Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, um, Home Depot, you know, stocks like your biggest stocks, that's where it's going. And so if we look at what happened in the first quarter, investors continue to pour money into BlackRock's funds in the first quarter, seemingly undeterred by falling stock prices, surging inflation, and war in Europe. And so if we look at it, clients added $114 billion total to BlackRock's long-term investment products. And equity funds led the way with $76 billion bond Bond funds had about $7.5 billion despite fixed income markets. And so those inflows came even when the S&P 500 ended the quarter down 5%, while the NASDAQ composite was down 9.1%. Remember, this last quarter, Q1 2022, was the worst quarter for stocks that has been reported in the last two years. So, so this is something that we really have to take into consideration and we really have to understand that this could be a problem. But at the end of the day, we just got to make sure that we're just keeping our eyes on these things. It's nothing to really panic about. It's just something to keep in mind. If we look at the total assets under management, BlackRock's got about $9.57 at the end of March in total assets under management. And the firm had $10 trillion at the end of last year. So... This is slightly lower, slightly lower, but nothing, nothing in this report really, truly got me upset, got me, got me thinking, okay, am, am I upset? Am I, 
Am I feeling down about this? I'm not really. I mean, if I look at institutions added 47 billion to BlackRock funds, you know, if we look at performance fees, they decreased 31 million, but BlackRock attributed that in part to lower revenue from its liquid alternatives business. So, you know, BlackRock is still performing very well. People are still investing into BlackRock. People are still investing into the market, even though we see the market being down. And so us as investors, we just have to put this on our radar and just understand what's going on and understand that the banks control everything. The banks are the ones that are going to be investing into the biggest companies. So we just got to keep that in mind. Everybody on Instagram, come on over to um, the YouTube live. So this is very, very interesting that we found here today. So Delta Airlines, they reported earnings this morning and they reported a Q1 loss, but they raised their guidance in all-time high demand, okay? So Delta Airlines, they reported a loss and they, I don't believe they reported a profit since the beginning of the pandemic. I, I don't think that they have reported any kind of profit. You know what I'm saying? So the one thing I want us to understand is that the adjusted net loss was $784 million, which was lower than the $807 million expected. Adjusted loss per share, $1.23 versus $1.26 expected. So that was lower. Revenue was $8.16 billion, which was up from $8.07 billion. And the revenue during the quarter was restored to 79% of the level seen prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And business operations returned to profitability during the month of March during a surge in consumer demand. So this is really big, okay? This is really big because CEO Ed Bastian said that over the last five weeks, we've experienced the highest level of sales and booking activity at any time in our history. And they believe that, that this is going to be a very strong summer travel period for us and going forward. Now, this is the thing. We've heard a lot of people, a lot of media pundits in the market talk a lot about, okay, we're about to have a recession. The Fed is going to force a recession, inflation, all these things. Even with inflation, we are still seeing that the consumer is saying, look, I'm not really concerned about it to the point to where it's going to make me stop spending. People can complain about inflation all they want to. That's fine. That's great. Do your thing. Hey, I'm not mad at you. Look, I understand things are high. You know, everybody's pockets are getting hit. But at the same time, if it's not high enough to make you actually stop wanting to spend, then you know, then you know what I'm saying? It's not really something that I'm really going to have a lot of merit to. I'm not going to add that much merit to that because look at it from this perspective. In this day and age, you're probably flying due to the fact that you want to have a vacation. When you are traveling due to a vacation, that is discretionary spending. You, you are taking extra money outside of your bills, outside of your, your, your regular expenses that you have every single month. You're taking that extra money and taking a vacation. If you want to do that, then I believe that is an indication that the, that the consumer is strong and the consumer may stay strong. Also, Delta is forecasting that during the second quarter, 84% of capacity will return when compared to the same period during 2019 and expects revenue recovery to reach 93 to 97% of the pre-pandemic levels. 
that's big because the airlines have been getting beaten down. They've been getting beat to sleep for the last two years. The fact that they are able to pretty much get back that demand, I believe that could be a strong sign for the economy. Does it mean that a recession is not happening? No, by any means, a recession could still happen. But the fact that consumers are still spending money on discretionary items like travel, that's something that I want people to really keep in mind. And also, since we're on this Delta topic, I think we should also look at Boeing as well. Now, me personally, I've never been one of those ones that have been like on the airlines, you know, like the airlines, I, I just don't really see, see the growth there in terms of the airlines. But the one thing that we could look at, though, don't look at just the airlines. So Southwest, United, um, Delta. Yes, I'm not really I'm not really looking at the airlines, but I may look at the airline manufacturer which is Boeing. And Boeing reported that their Q1 airplane deliveries increased 14.3% year over year. Now, Boeing is another company that's gotten beat to sleep over the last two years. But if Delta is letting you know that demand is increasing, I'm pretty sure a lot of the other airlines are going to express that the demand is increasing as well. If demand is increasing, then that means the likelihood and the and pretty much it's going to be shorter intervals in between upgrading planes. And so you're going to go to the manufacturer to make sure that you get these new planes coming through. And so Boeing reported the delivery figures for its commercial and defense operations. And this reflects an improvement of 23.4% in commercial shipments over the previous year. And Boeing reported the commercial deliveries of 95 airplanes in the first quarter of 2022 which increased from the prior year tally of 77. So, so the one thing that we need to understand here is that Boeing does have a major competitor. Their competitor is Airbus. And if you look at Airbus, Airbus delivered 140 commercial aircraft in the first quarter compared to Boeing's 136. However, the year-over-year -year growth rate of both companies is different. Boeing's has a delivery increase of 14.3%, Airbus has that delivery increase of 13%. So you could indicate that Boeing may have a better growth trajectory at the end of the day. This is something that you may want to consider looking into. I'm not saying that Boeing is one that you may want to add to your portfolio over the long term necessarily, but it may be a good trade, okay? It really truly may be a good trade. While we're talking about Boeing, let me go ahead and pull up Boeing's chart real quick because I think I drew some trend lines here. Let me pull up Boeing. I did draw some trend lines. Okay. So let's look at, let's just look at year to date here. You know what? Let's, let's look at the full year. Okay. Let's look at the full year. I can get this chart to look right. So I drew some trend lines that I saw for Boeing. And so Boeing, Boeing from a technical standpoint is definitely bearish, right? I've got some trend lines drawn here 
But the one thing I will tell you is that when stocks tend to follow these trend lines like this, the stock is either going to break below the trend or it's going, to, it's going to break above the trend. And so I think that since the fact that Boeing gave us some pretty good delivery numbers and the fact that we may look over here and we may say, hey, Boeing gave us some delivery numbers, let's see what they do in earnings, okay? Boeing was up pretty good. Boeing was up pretty good today. And I was really impressed on what they did today, just today, like from an intraday perspective. So I'm not saying to get into a trade on this company. I'm not saying to buy this company for the long term. I'm just saying it is very interesting to hear that Delta is reporting strong demand. So the other airlines may be reporting strong demand and they've got to go to the manufacturer to upgrade the planes. And nine times out of 10, that's probably going to be over here with Boeing. So just keep that in mind. All right. Let me check the chat real quick. Do you feel inflation will push us into a recession? So inflation could push us into a recession. And I'm going to tell y'all why here in a second. But yes, inflation could definitely push us into a recession. So there are some, there are some indicators that I really want us to look at here. And I want us to look at the consumer price index. Okay, so which stands for CPI. And CPI is pretty much the measure of the increase in prices that consumers are paying. And so year over year, or, or, or for March, March reported an 8.5 increase before we look at the seasonal adjustment. This is the highest inflation reading that has happened since March of 1981. Now, what we need to understand here is that if prices continue to increase, we understand that the Federal Reserve, they may try to raise interest rates too quickly in order to be able to stave off this inflation, and that could theoretically lead us into a recession. But there's something that we need to look at, we need to look at this a little bit more deeper. We need to look at where is the inflation coming from? So right here, we're looking at, so right here, this chart right here, I'm going to zoom in a little bit for y'all so y'all can see this because I don't want y'all to be straining your eyes. Okay, so this is a chart right here that is showing seasonally adjusted changes for preceding months. And this is measured from September 2021 all the way over here to March 2022. Now, most of the inflation is related to food, energy commodities, gasoline, fuel, oil, electricity, the inflation with the fuel and the gasoline, energy commodities, like food and all that, that's, that's the highest it's been over the last six months. So we, so we understand that we've got inflation in those areas. But if you take out all of the commodities, and if you take out the food and the energy, things like that, 
we had an increase in used car sales at 3.3% in December, and we've tailed off. If we look at new vehicles, we were, we were increasing in September, October, we were about the same 1.3, 1.3. November went down to 1.2, 1.2, and we've tailed off. Apparel, apparel is kind of just kind of just hanging out. It's not, it's not real crazy. Medical care commodities, it's not really anything to sneeze at. We've got an increase in transportation services, of course, but that's got to be due to the, to, to, to the energy prices with the gas. So if we look at it, if we look at it, this is why a lot of the Federal Reserve pundits, a lot of the Federal Reserve chairmen over their respective banks, that's why they have been saying that inflation might be peaking. We might be peaking at inflation here, but there's no way for us to tell. We've got to wait and see, We've have, and we have to let the data validate. So what JP Morgan has said was that expect a lot of volatility over the remainder of this year, and that is a fact. We have to expect a lot of volatility over the remainder of this year because there are so many things going on for the market. We've got the war with Russia and Ukraine, which is raising our energy prices. Ukraine is a, is a big producer, I believe, of wheat, okay? They can't get the wheat over here. So that's going to make, so that's going to make prices increase. And so, and, so, and so please, so when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the gas pump, do not expect gas prices or do not expect, um, don't expect your gas prices to come down. Don't expect your chicken to come down in the grocery store. Don't expect your milk to come down, your eggs. Don't expect any of that because that's going to stay high. But if other areas of the market can come down, then we may be in a situation to where we might not go into a recession, but there's no way for us to really, really truly like anticipate that and really say, can that really happen? Let me check the chat again real quick. What were Boeing's numbers pre-COVID? Is there a rebound on the way? So pre-COVID, their numbers, let me see if they said anything about their numbers in this article. Um, let me look and look at these numbers. Um, they don't mention their numbers in this article, but let's go back to this chart and let's look at the five year really quickly and let's see where the stock price was pre-COVID. Because this is really going to give you some perspective on what's really going on and what's happened with Boeing. Okay, so if we look at 2020, let me go ahead and mark, let me go ahead and mark an indicator right here. Right before the drop, February 18th, 2020, Boeing was at around $338 a share. Since then, Boeing came all the way down to around to around 89 and it's been it's been trending upward since that time and now it's back on this little decline. Is is back on the decline. And so what I will tell you is that Boeing had outstanding numbers or or not necessarily outstanding, but they were a lot bigger than what they were 
than what they are right now. And so if Boeing is able to crank up that manufacturing, if planes are able to get that demand back, this really could be a situation to where Boeing could be an investment that we could take through the remainder of the year. Because I'm going to tell you, tech is not in favor right now. People are trying to sell tech. And a lot of the big institutions, a lot of investors, they're going into other sectors of the market. They're going into energy. They're going into utilities. They're going into industrials. You know, they're going into healthcare in some aspects because they're trying to they're trying to get some safety and they still want to get some growth. They're going into consumer staples, right? Procter and Gamble raised their dividend by five percent, and they've raised their dividend consecutively every single year for the last sixty six years. So. Investors are looking at different options in the market. But the one thing I want to tell you about Boeing is just keep your eye on it. Don't hop in just yet. Do a little bit more research. Do a little bit more research. Let's see what Q1 happens. If you want to take a risk on a trade, I'm not going to be mad at you. If something entices me enough, I may make a move on it. You know, you never know. It just depends, but I'm just pointing this out there because simply because of the fact if Delta CEO is telling me that they've had the best five weeks that they've had ever, that's really got that's really got my eyes. Like that's really piquing my interest. And so now I'm really going to be watching the airlines to see what they report because I believe the airlines will be coming around probably probably next week. We'll probably see some of the airlines reporting some things. So let's just keep let's just keep Boeing on our radar. I appreciate everybody on the check-in though. Like this is, this is nice. <laughs> this is really nice. I'm having some fun. Okay, so we talked about the consumer price index. Let's look at the, let's look at the producer price index. So the, the consumer price index is telling you the increase for the consumer. The producer price index is telling you the increase for the wholesaler. It's telling you the increase for, for, for the people that have to get the goods. So this increase was up 11.2% year over year. I believe that this is the largest increase that the PPI has had. I believe in the history of them even tracking this statistic at this point. I believe this is the largest it's been. And so this is something that we really truly have to keep our eyes on because inflation is here. Inflation is here. And like I said, I don't know where, where we're peaking. Nobody can predict it. Like, I don't want to hear somebody coming on CNBC or coming on the TV telling me that, hey, I believe inflation is going to peak tomorrow. Or I believe we've peaked. Do not try to call a top of inflation. That's not, you are going to get hurt doing that type of stuff. Remember something very key. Bears make money. Bulls make money. Pigs get slaughtered. In other words... If you, in other words, if you get caught out, if you get caught out here holding the bag, listening to what people are saying on the TV, on the television, you could really get hurt in this market. That's why my mission here is just to really teach people how to learn how to trade for themselves, because I want y'all to win this market. And so I would never tell you anything, you know what I'm saying, purposefully to hurt you because because full disclosure i'm not a financial advisor i'm not a fiduciary i don't manage money professionally but i have done a lot of research and so i want to make sure that y'all are good and really truly give you the information that you need so you need to watch the producer price index 
and you need to watch the consumer price index and understand that the Fed will be giving us more information as time goes on. The Fed isn't going anywhere. The Fed is going to make sure that they are going to be here and they're going to attempt now. They're going to attempt. It doesn't mean that they're going to succeed. They're going to attempt to hold us out of a recession. So I talked about the banks. I talked about Delta. Also, I want to talk about Taiwan Semiconductor. Taiwan Semiconductor. So Taiwan Semiconductor is a company based in Taiwan. And Taiwan Semiconductor makes most of the chips in the world. I want to say I saw an estimate that said that Taiwan Semiconductor makes about 90% of the chips in the world. The Taiwan Semiconductor is a chip manufacturer, and they're going to be reporting earnings tomorrow. And this is going to be a very, very key earnings report because a lot of the big, because a lot of the big semiconductors have fallen down. And so let's go through this article real quick and let's talk about the semiconductors a little bit further. So is Taiwan Semiconductor a buying opportunity amid falling price and rising revenue led by stable demand? So like I said, tomorrow we'll hear from Taiwan Semiconductor. They're going to be reporting their Q1 earnings tomorrow before the market opens. EPS is expected to be $1.31. Revenue for, for the quarter is expected to be, well, it was reported to be $16.97 billion, and that's 35.5% year over year. And the company sees CapEx guidance to be between 40 to 44 billion compared to 30 billion and operating profit margin ranging between 42% and 44%. I like that this CapEx spending is increasing. So let's do a little bit, let's do a little review real quick. What is CapEx? CapEx is capital expenditures, the money that companies use to pretty much increase their products, increase their services, get the, get the equipment that they need in order to be able to produce the products to get them to the consumers so they can get a profit. When a company is investing more into the business, investing more into what they need to produce for the consumers, I like this because like I said, Taiwan Semiconductor is probably one of the most important companies in the world because they produce all the chips. And so over the last year, TSM has beaten EPS estimates 100% of the time. And EPS estimates have seen upward revision. So we're looking at the analysts. The analysts are expecting them to have better, better than reported EPS numbers. And so TSM chairman did say that global demand for consumer electronics, such as smartphones, PCs, and TVs, is starting to slow down amid Russia invasion of Ukraine and COVID-related lockdowns in China. So that is a risk. Because, because we do have COVID-related lockdowns in China that is affecting the market right now currently. But January global semiconductor sales saw a 26.8% increase year over year. So at the end of the day, we have to keep in mind and we have to just listen to what the company says. Don't, don't be too worried about, don't be too worried about what analysts are saying. Let's listen to what the companies are saying. Now, Let's go back again. Let's repeat. I said that Taiwan is probably the most, one of the most important companies in the world and, and is the most important semiconductor in the world, in my opinion. So with that being said, why is that? Why are they the most important? Because 
a lot of semiconductor companies have been getting downgraded here lately because of the fears of slowing demand and also the COVID lockdowns that have been affecting us in China. So NVIDIA. NVIDIA is a very solid company. CEO Jensen Wong, they're, they're a company that is in artificial intelligence. They make graphics cards. They make chips. They're involved in gaming. You know, they're going to be involved in the metaverse, but they're calling their metaverse the omniverse. They also have technology that can power self-driving cars. So NVIDIA is a very, very good company. And I believe NVIDIA, based on market cap, has to be in the top 15. NVIDIA is a very solid company. But a lot of, but NVIDIA, AMD, um, Intel, a lot of big semiconductor companies, they've been getting their price targets cut. So Truist Securities and Baird have downgraded or reduced the price target for the stock. One of the biggest current one of the biggest concerns is the risk of consumer spending decreasing. And so Bear downgraded Nvidia to neutral and reduced the full year price target from $360 to $225. Nvidia stock price came down bad. AMD stock price came down bad off of that. So like when you reduce the price target that much, I really can't take a lot of stock into that until I hear it from the company. NVIDIA hasn't said a word. AMD hasn't said a word. None of these companies have said a word about demand slowing. And also, they're saying that numerous online reports mention that graphics card prices are decreasing from peaks in third-party markets. eBay's completed listing shows that graphics cards are still selling way above the manufacturer's suggested retail price. As third-party prices are still above MSRP, it might be too early to tell what will happen to the graphics consumer market. Exactly. I believe it's too early to tell. Like we said before, if consumers are continuing to spend money on discretionary items like travel, like hopping on a plane, booking multiple, probably booking multiple trips, and the demand pretty much staying strong through June, why wouldn't the consumers buy things like buy, buy the graphics card from NVIDIA or buy, buy pretty much Xboxes that have AMD's card that have AMD's cards in them? Like what's really going to stop them? So in a couple of weeks, we're going to hear from NVIDIA. We're going to hear from AMD. We're going to hear from Apple. We're going to hear from the big boys. We're going to hear from the big boys and they're going to tell us what's going on. And when they tell us what's going on, then we'll have a better, we'll pretty much have a better idea of what to expect moving forward. And since we're on semiconductor companies, since we're here, I want to teach everybody, and I pretty much before I close out, if I don't have any more questions to, to come through, before I close out, I want to teach everybody how to look up ETF holdings. And specifically, since we're talking about semiconductors, Let's go ahead and figure out how to look up ETF holdings. So there's an ETF that I really like. I really, really like it from a semiconductor perspective, and it's called SMH. So let's go to Google real quick so I can show you guys the whole workflow real quick. So when you come to Google and you want to, Pretty much find an ETF, just type in the ticker symbol. The ticker symbol is SMH. 
ETF holdings, right? And so SMH ETF holdings. And so the first one that comes up is Van Eck. So you can go to so you can go to Yahoo Finance, you can go to ETF DB, you can probably go to Bar Chart, you can probably go to a lot of different websites, but I like to go to the website of the company that actually made the ETF. I, I really like doing that because it gives me the ability to pretty much be, be because the, the companies that made the ETF, they're going to keep their allocations updated. And so that's what I like to see. I, I really don't want to see, you know, out of date allocations. And so let me zoom in a little bit because I want to make sure we see this. Um, let's see if I can zoom in really quickly here. Okay, there we go. All right, so if we look at the top 10 holdings as of the end of March, we've got NVIDIA, we've got Taiwan Semiconductor, we've got ASML, Texas Instruments, Broadcom, Intel, Advanced Micro Devices, AMD, Qualcomm, analog devices and lamb research and if we look over here at the percentage of net assets these 10 make up about 59 percent of the etf and with this etf this etf is very very concentrated you've only got 25 companies in this etf it's not like spy or splg where you've got over 500 companies in the etf this is very concentrated and this is really one of the reasons why I really like it, really, simply because of the fact that I've got good concentration. Over 20% of the ETF is in NVIDIA and in Taiwan Semiconductor. That's really what I like to see. I, I like to see the biggest companies having the biggest weighting. And all of these companies are very, very interesting. And I really, truly encourage, I really, truly encourage people, look, go out here, let's research these companies. Okay, research these companies and see what they actually do, because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, like, SMH is a very good, is a very good ETF, and I really like it from a trading perspective, too. So let's pull up the chart. Let's go ahead and pull up the chart. Let's see what the chart's talking about. Okay, I've got SMH on my watch list here. So SMH was up 2.37% today. Pretty strong day from the semis. NVIDIA was up. TSM was up. AMD was up. And so when I look at SMH, this is a weekly chart. SMH, this is exactly what you want to see from a chart perspective. Charts moving up and to the right. So I'm going to look at this. So this is a weekly time frame. Let's look at this from a daily time frame and let's see what's been happening over the last year. So when we're charting, we really like to look at support and we look at resistance. So right now, SMH is near support. SMH has bounced off of these prices previously. They bounced off these prices about a month ago. And now they're back around those same prices. So if we look at it, let me go ahead and mark a little line right here horizontal line here we got my horizontal line blue let's go ahead and change that to white to be consistent estimation has been trading in this channel 
for a while, pretty much really for the last year, if you look at it from a from a total perspective, we jumped up a little bit. The 52 week highs around 315, 317, something like that. Let me go and mark the 52 week high too. So when we look at these things, I'm looking at support. So support is pretty much, I like to call the bottom. Resistance is kind of the top, but, but you got different levels to the bottom, different levels to the top. So when a stock comes down to a support level, that means that buyers are entering the market at that price. So if SMH came down to, let's say, 237 and bounced off of it multiple times, what that means is that investors are willing to pay for SMH at 237. And so we've also got a resistance level at 288. So we bounced off of 288 in late March and we came all the way back down. So from a trading perspective, you want to read charts from right to left because it's showing you the most recent. It's showing you the most recent information. The most recent information is going to be given to you from right to left. And so if and so I really like this ETF. This is an ETF that I'm going to be looking at, seeing what the what the options premiums might be. And I may consider trading this stock. But even though, even if you don't want to trade it, you can still buy it. This is a great long-term This is a great long-term hold. Semiconductors are here for semiconductors are in everything. Okay. They're in everything. And all those companies that I laid out, that top 10, you gotta research that top 10 and you gotta see what they've got going on. So Let's say I want to, let's say let's say I want to do a trade on SMH and let's say I want to take SMH out to the end of the year. To get some increase, pretty much to get that increased volatility, all you really need is about a week, two week volatility swing. If you were trading SMH out to the long term and you came up to 288, 288 may be a good position that you may want to consider having an options contract at 288, 300, you know, something like that. Like I said, I'm not a financial advisor, nor am I a fiduciary. Investing comes with considerable risk, but SMH is a good ETF and do some research on it. The, the big companies, like the big institutions, they like SMH. <laughs> My mentors, they like SMH. So just, just keep that in mind. Let me check the chat real quick. Is AMD a long-term hold? Is AMD a long-term hold? That's a fine question, my friend. Is AMD a long-term hold? Okay. What I want to tell you is that AMD is a great company. Okay. And since we're on AMD, let's pull up, let's pull up some AMD statistics. You know what? Let's pull up AMD's last quarterly report. AMD, for full disclosure, AMD is a company that I am invested in. I am invested in this company. I have shares in this company. So for full disclosure, I could, you could, you could say that I'm coming from an, from a biased perspective, but I'm not going to steer you in the wrong direction on purpose. 
Okay, so I wanted to pull up AMD's quarterly financial report. Okay. And so let's just talk about what AMD does. Okay, let's, let's just talk about what does AMD do? AMD is a semiconductor company. Okay, it's a semiconductor company that designs chips. So AMD designs chips, NVIDIA designs chips, Qualcomm designs chips, and a lot of them, and Apple designs chips as well, that all those companies design their own chips and they send those chips out to the manufacturer, which is TSM, to pretty much manufacture them, send them back, put them into the product, put them into the products, the whole nine yards, you know, that, that, that whole deal. And so AMD is a company that is in a lot of different areas, okay? AMD is in the PC market. AMD is in the data center market, okay? AMD is in the gaming market. So AMD, their chips are in PS5s and in Xboxes. So they have a big, big, huge partnership with Microsoft, a really long-standing relationship with Sony. They're also using their chips and they're using their graphics cards to be embedded into cloud providers. So cloud providers like Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, Microsoft's cloud. And why that's so important is because Amazon is the largest cloud provider in the world. And speaking of Amazon, y'all need to tune in to CNBC tomorrow morning, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, 7.30 a.m. Central. Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon, will be coming on the CNBC and doing an interview. I'm going to be checking in because I really want to see what he's going to say. What is he going to report about Amazon's business? What is he going to say about the cloud? He's probably going to talk a lot about fulfillment by Amazon. He's probably going to talk a lot about the manufacturing, all those types of things. But I really want to see what the cloud is talking about. AMD has been doing a lot of good things to pretty much align themselves up with strategic partnerships. I, I did an AMD stock analysis episode on this company a couple of weeks back. Please go check that out because that, that will pretty much highlight everything I'm gonna go through right here. But really quickly, just to show you very quickly, AMD's, their revenue is up 68% year over year. Gross margin is up 48% which is up 3.7% year over year. They've got strong profitability, strong free cash flow, strong balance sheet. You know, the, the company is solid. I mean, the company is really, truly solid. And I went through all of these things in the AMD stock analysis video that I did. So I'm just going to run through this really quickly. But because I, I just wanted to pull this up, but, but I really want to go through the balance sheet really quickly because I want to show you what a strong balance sheet looks like. I really want to show you all this. So strong balance sheet, you, 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 see, you see what the company got here at the bottom. Strong balance sheet. In cash and cash equivalents, the company's got $3.6 billion in cash, okay? And they've only got $313 million in debt. They could pay this off tomorrow if they wanted to. The company's been paying down the debt and they've been increasing the cash. Their accounts receivables, they've got 2.7, 2.7 billion. Inventories, 1.9 billion. All up hundreds of millions of dollars over a year-over-year -year time span. AMD is really a great company. 
and AMD has been taking a beating, been taking a really bad beating. Okay, let me let's go and pull up this chart real quick. Okay, because we need to see this. Okay, I was I was drawing some trend lines, playing around with some things. Let me delete these really quick. So I've got some levels marked off. So, so like I said before, when you're reading a chart, you want to read from right to left, right? You want to read from right to left because you want to look at the performance recently because, because there's a reason why the stock has came down so far. So in December, I'll say November, AMD hit an all-time high of $164. Let's go ahead and mark that really quickly. 164, okay, that's the all-time high. The stock is now down below 100. Why is it down below 100? Because of, because of pretty much price target cuts. AMD's had a lot of price target cuts, which I believe are premature. No data has validated the price target cut. And 100 has been a strong support level for this stock over the last year or so. 100 has held strong, but we actually bled below 100 this week. Actually, yesterday we were at 94.60, as low as, as low as it's been. We were up another two percent today, so that was that was good. But I'm telling you, AMD is a very good company, and and I'm really truly glad that my guy Chris asked that question because it reminded me I, I need to buy some shares tomorrow. I need to give me some shares tomorrow of AMD below $100 because this stock is worth way more than $100. I'm not going to give you a valuation, okay? That is, your, that is your responsibility to determine the valuation. But I will tell you that the stock is, more, is definitely worth more than 100 bucks. And if you get into below 100, that's a steal. AMD is a long-term hold, I repeat. This company is a long-term hold. So you need to make sure that you hold on to this company for a long-term, three to five years minimum, because if you, again, I'm not trying to plug myself, but I really got to plug myself. Go to that AMD stock analysis video that I did. Look at all of those strategic partnerships that they've got from Amazon to Tesla to Microsoft. Okay, you know, like we really, truly have to really, really we really got to put some respect on AMD's name because AMD has been getting a lot of flack. But the one thing I will tell you is that towards the end of this month and towards the beginning of the next month, we're going to see what's going on. And this earnings and these earnings, these Q1s are going to be very important. I, I, I will I will tell you that they're going to be very important because I'm telling you. We need to see what the inflation is looking like for the companies, the companies themselves, because when inflation and prices go up, companies are going to have to pass those costs on to consumers in some shape, form, or fashion. Okay, so again, one more time, remember, please remember, AMD is truly a long-term Hold. Thank you. Thank you for that, Chris. I really appreciate it. Let me see here. 
I'm trying to stop this share. Okay. So we've been going on for about an hour. We've been going on for about an hour. So to wrap things up, you know, earnings season is here. Earnings season just got started. You know, JP Morgan, they disappointed a little bit. BlackRock, they disappointed a little bit. That's okay. You know, Delta, they way outperformed. So, hey, that's good news. But remember, these Q1 earnings are going to be very, very important in terms of telling us what is inflation doing to the companies. We know what inflation is doing to the consumer. When you, when you go to the gas pump, when you go to the grocery store, you see it every single day. Trust me. I know. I see it too. Everybody's dealing with it. But we got to see what we got to see how, how, it's, how it's affecting the companies, because I'm telling you, the best companies in the world are able to navigate these type of issues. We've got a lot of macro issues. We've got a war going on. We've got a war going on. We've got COVID restrictions in China that's slowing economic activity. That just happened over the last couple of weeks. So it probably won't be reflected in Q1. It might reflect in Q2. We'll see. But what are the earnings going to be? Are they going to beat? Are they going to have good guidance? And are they going to raise their guidance? And are companies going to be shaky? Okay, are they going to be shaky over the long term? So as always, again, this is my first YouTube live. Look, bear, bear with me. You know, you know, reach out to me in the comments. Let me know how you thought I did. You know, I appreciate everybody that asked questions. You know, appreciate, shout out, shout out to Gendrez White. That's my guy. Appreciate you, dude. Shout out to my wife, Nisha. I appreciate you for asking questions. Shout out to my brother-in-law, John. Love you, man. Shout out to Chris. Appreciate y'all for engaging with me, asking me, asking me questions and stuff. And so I'm probably going to be doing the YouTube live thing more, you know, diversify my podcast platform. You know what I'm saying? And really, truly have better I can really truly give you more guidance. I can show you charts. I can I can go through articles with you here real time. If if some things happen real time, you know what I'm saying. If if an article came off came across CNBC, we could pull it up really quickly, and we could just talk about it real time and go through it. So as always, I appreciate y'all. Hey, remember, don't pay for it. <laughs> Trade for it. I'm gonna catch y'all next week. Peace.